you're listening to a certain degree. My name is Nick Jurgudiu. On this episode, three amazing guests. I don't know why I paused in between all of those. Coming up a little bit later, Kat Whitaker will tell us about Uncomfortable Brunch at the Enzian. Robin Hoffman will talk a little bit about what she pivoted to during the course of the pandemic. But starting us off, Bethany Williams with a new venture she has, a that's in the process of launching. That technically is still in a soft launch phase, like yeah. right now. I started posting about it. You know, I'm a marketing person, so I have to like allude to what I'm doing. Sure. I started posting about it and I started creating like a fan base, like an Instagram page and stuff like that. Probably end of March, beginning of April. So it's only been up for a couple of months. So it's pretty new. So tell me a little bit about it. Like where did that come from? Yeah. So I have always loved trading cards, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh. More recently, I've gotten into like Dragon Ball Super and Digimon and just all of the, the different trading card games. I moved a lot growing up. Like every six months a year, I would be in a new school. And I mean, I'm a millennial, so when I was growing up, trading cards were the big thing that everyone did to, like, hang out. Like, we'd bring out our cards on, like, lunchtime. We'd, like, duel in Yu-Gi-Oh! or something on, like, the playground. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's how I made friends. I would show up at a new school, and I would just, like, trade Yu-Gi-Oh! cards with people, so I was always really into it. And then the pandemic hit, and I was like, well, what am I going to do while I'm sitting around my apartment I mean, I, I can work, but I have to have something fun other than work to you do. You have to have an outlet, yeah. Yeah, I was like, I can't just watch TV all day. That's going to get old. So, and I had asked you very, I think very nicely not to stop, start another podcast because <laughs> yours would be so much better than mine. Yeah, I did get that message. So I appreciate so, that. Yeah. Thank you for yeah, listening course, to that request. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I was kind of chilling in my apartment one day and I was like, you know what? I kind of want to look at my Yu-Gi-Oh cards. And I knew they were in the the chest that I keep, that I have my TV on. So I like opened the TV up and I was like, let's, I guess the TV chest up. And I like looked in there and they're all perfectly packaged in their little sleeves. And I was like, wow, I really miss this. I actually played competitively until, am I, am I ready to tell the world this? (laughs) I played competitively until I was about like 23. (laughs) Um, So recently. Yeah. So uh, right until like my, I would say like my, I got my associate's degree and around the time I got my associate's degree is when I quit playing Yu-Gi-Oh. Okay. Uh, And then it's interesting that it lined up with the end of school since it seemed to be such a school related thing. Yep. Um, and I think that's kind of just like how people like get to know each other and hang out as they like, at least the people I know go to card shops or comic book stores or something yeah. like that. And I quit playing Yu-Gi-Oh! And then I moved to Florida around the time I quit playing. So I didn't really know anyone that played. So it just kind of like fizzled out. And I was like, all right, I guess that's the end of it. I'll just hold on to these cards and memorabilia. And then during the pandemic, I started, you know, collecting again. I randomly went to a comic book store and I saw a booster box just sitting on the counter. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to buy a pack just for the nostalgia of opening it, the fresh card smell. The the thrill of just not knowing what you're going to get. Yes. I opened the pack and I was instantly hooked again. I was like, I need more. And then I went to Target 
and saw that they were sold out of everything Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And I was like, what's going on? I was like, maybe it's just this Target. It is like a weird, you know, yeah. time. Like things are like the supply chain's messed up. So maybe it's just this Target. There was that thing in the Suez Canal. All kinds of stuff. Yeah. yeah. So printing has been messed up, like everything. So I was like, you know what? Maybe it's just this Target. So I went to another Target. Nothing. Went to another Target. Nothing. Oh. I went to like six Targets. And there was just no cards. I was like, what is going on? So then my parents live in Tennessee, like an hour outside of Nashville. So pretty far into the country, in my opinion, since I live in the city. So I was like, can you guys check your store? They don't have a Target, but they have a Walmart. I was like, can you check and see if there's cards there? They went and there was like a couple of things on the shelf, but like it had also been cleared out. So I was just like, what is going on? So then I started learning about the new world of, of Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh that apparently is like re like, I guess, I don't know the word, like it's come back again. Okay. There's um, a resurgence. Like, yeah. Like a resurgence. Uh, and I, by chance happened to be at a Walmart one day at 8am and I saw a line of people in the card section and I walked up and I was like, what are you guys doing? And it was like all these guys. Cause that's typically who's in the TCG sure. world is typically not a 20 year old girl. It's typically like, Guys, especially sports cards, are usually like at least a 30 year old man. Like that's usually your target market for those mm-hmm. those kind of products. So I walk up and I'm like, what are you guys waiting on? And they're like, oh, we're just we're just waiting on cards. And like they just think they're I'm just, just asking. Unboxing. Like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, OK, well, can I can I get in line? And so then they were like, well, we don't know when they're going to bring the cards They're We're just we know that's going to be today. And I was like, oh, OK. So I was like, you know what? I really want these cards. I haven't been able to find them anywhere since I found that pack at the comic book store. It's a Saturday. I have nothing else to do. So I'm just going to wait. Just hang so out. Yeah. 8 a.m. I decide spontaneously to stand at a Walmart. I was there until like maybe two or three in the day. Not ashamed. I stood all day and waited for these cards. And I got like a bunch of cards from that. Like I, I say a bunch, but I maybe spent like a hundred bucks. Like I bought like a a nice box that had like 10 packs in it yeah. and like a couple of like box uh tens and i got i got like some booster packs and like just some things because like i know i'm not gonna find any of this for a while so let me yeah. just get some some good stuff and then i took it home started creating videos like opening it and i was like you know it'd be really cool to just own a card shop so then i started looking into it and i was like i feel like this is like a childhood dream just like making a career out of something and at this point in my like professional career with marketing I actually have money that I can invest into like a side project like this that's fun so I'm on that journey now I'm trying to learn the ins and outs of the card industry yeah um, from a non-competitive standpoint since I've only ever played competitively I've never actually run a card shop so I'm learning as I go day day by day (laughs) That's amazing. What was, I, I'm curious because I, there's a bunch of things that I've collected over the years, uh, but none as interactive, mm-hmm. right? Like video games, but usually there's plenty of video games unless you're collecting the really old mm-hmm. stuff. Um, there's no video game really like, uh, like that. Um, so what is the bigger draw to you playing the game or the thrill of the hunt, the going out and trying to find the stuff? Um, I would say... The game itself is is fun. Yeah. There's not a lot of tournaments happening right now, unfortunately. Sure, sure. Um, so I haven't really been able to play in a while. 
I think what I like about collecting, especially cards over other things, is when I collect other things, I pretty much know what I'm going to get. But when I collect cards, it's kind of like, and not to sound like I have a gambling issue, but it's kind of like (laughs) a gamble. It's like I spend a hundred bucks on booster packs and I might get one card. Yeah, Yeah, I might get one card that's worth like a thousand bucks and that's pretty exciting. So I think it's like that exciting like thrill of like gambling I guess but it's like not like a waste of money it's like it's for cards that I'm actually going to use to play a game also yeah. so it's like yeah there's like, like multiple purposes yeah. yeah I love it too because it's not just like you're not just looking at profitability you are looking at this thing as this is something that connected me to different communities as I was traveling through life and now maybe it's going to do the same and when you say you're looking at it in a non-competitive way. Is that what you mean? Like you're looking to more um, uh, try to connect with a casual fan, with somebody who wants to learn the game but doesn't actually want to go play like tournaments and stuff like that? Yeah, so when I say I'm looking at it in a non-competitive way, I'm a competitive person. So <laughs> um, I mean like in a ter- I'm not playing in tournaments anymore. Like yeah. I'm now I'm like trying to start a business. Like it's not just a tournament like where I show up, I try to win the tournament, get that prize. Like it's it's more so like I'm actually trying to complete collections of cards and actually like get as much as I can for my collection. Like I I mm. never had a, st- a sealed collection until recently and I didn't even know that was a thing because I used to just play the game. I didn't actually collect like sealed merchandise or anything like that that was Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon related I just got the cards I needed for the deck I was building and then I would play competitively I'd be there to win I'd be like cool I'm done and I'd go home and I'd put my cards back in their box and I'd like do whatever but now it's like I will buy a hundred packs to try and get that final card for the set that I'm collecting right so um they usually release like a new set every month for Yu-Gi-Oh for example and it usually has like 160 cards per set you're not going to get all of those cards unless you buy tons of booster packs. So it's right. kind of like a, a journey <laughs> to to collect all of those. So that, I guess that's what I mean by less competitive now is it's not just about tournaments anymore. It's more about collecting also. Yeah, trying to find them. Yeah, so I, yeah. it's kind of like reconnecting with like that inner child. Like I yeah. feel like I did a lot of that during COVID because, you know, I was confined to my home i think we were all children in one way or another over the last year so i i reconnected with my inner child and a lot of that is not being super competitive with Yu-Gi-Oh and like actually finding joy and like collecting it and like the game itself and not just competing because there are no tournaments right now yeah well it seems like a very zen approach like you're not elbowing people out of the way to get them either you're standing in this line for six to eight hours waiting your turn it's actually been kind of crazy honestly because apparently i see i got into this mix a couple of months ago and i didn't know that any of this was happening i was just like i want to get cards again i want to get into this it's a lot of fun i missed it and i didn't realize how much i missed it until i started opening packs again and now target is not even selling cards anymore because people they don't they well we were in a pandemic and they didn't want people like hanging around their stores that makes sense um safety but apparently there was like people getting violent over cards. Oh, and, sure. Um, yeah. I mean, mainly sports cards. People Any don't go as crazy over yeah. like Yu-Gi-Oh! and Pokemon, but they still were included in the mix. But I guess some people went crazy over some like sports cards or something. And so now Target and Walmart are like, we aren't doing uh, trading cards anymore, which I mean, it's good for someone like me who's trying to start a 
card store, but also it's making it a little bit harder for me because the distributors are being very stringent now. That, with who they send Yeah, to. with yeah. Uh, Target and Walmart making this decision. So I'm like, all right, well, it might be a little while before I can actually start this card shop, but I'm working on it. I'm doing it a little bit at a time. You can find out more about Bethany and keep up with the card shop at Coffee Fueled on Instagram. Spelled exactly like it sounds, Coffee Fueled. And that's good advice. Take it a step at a time, no matter what you're doing, especially something new. And maybe it scares you a little bit. That's okay. My next guest had to try something new because the stuff she was doing wouldn't work during the pandemic. Robin Hoffman, uh, guest of the show, fan of the show, friend of the show. Is all those true? All of those are true and more. Ooh. So good. You're so good at this. How many times have you been interviewed over the course of your life? Oh, wow. Um, not by police? Correct. Oh, okay. Uh, any, any authorities. Let's take any authorities out of it. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and lot. does it get easier? I always wanted, to, I always thought it would be kind of cool to start a program where it's a podcast that is recorded, but it's never released, where people just come on, artists, writers, like people who are nervous about the idea of promoting themselves and just give them an opportunity to practice, like interview them. You know, it's so funny that you say that because when I do an interview, I don't think of it as self-promotion. I think of it that maybe I can support somebody in whatever it is we're talking about or help somebody along the way or provide information that's useful. So it's funny because when you said that about promoting yourself, I was like, oh, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> but I guess that's what I'm right. doing. <laughs> so in a lot of your interviews, um, you have uh, food, not allergies, but some allergies, but food sensitivities. Is that the right phrase? It depends on who it is and what they have. But yes, I okay. just issues. Issues. Perfect. Because <laughs> yeah. then I can run the gamut. <laughs> and, you know, one of the things that uh, as I've gotten older, I've come across more people who have had these issues and or have different issues, right? Anything from Crohn's to food sensitivities. I met somebody who was allergic to garlic oh. and just garlic. I'm like, oh, that's that's crazy. And that's, you know, um, and then we talked about, you know, like nut allergies becoming such a thing because I I never realized how life-threatening a lot of these things could be. Um, but in talking to you and watching your show, you had a show specifically called bake with me where you brought on people with different food issues and you taught each other essentially how to bake something that you could still eat that was delightful. Yes. And I was wondering in, you know, not necessarily being able to do this right now because you don't want to get together with somebody during a pandemic and, and film a show and have all the crew there and everything else. What have you been missing from that? And what have you been missing in terms of like teaching people about these things? Wow. Um, I miss all of it. I really do. And I know that's, that's kind of a loose <laughs> answer or a vague answer, but I really miss being able to communicate with somebody about their disability or their diagnosis and being able to provide them with something that 
they can enjoy without any stress, without any tummy aches, without any negative, you know, responses to it. And then hearing everyone's response to it. So everyone had such a beautiful response to bake with me. So even the crew members would, would, after we were done filming, would walk up to me and somebody would say, oh, my mother has that. Now I can give her this recipe or my sister has that or my girlfriend or my, and you know, there's always somebody that connects with the person that I had standing next to me with her story, his story, with um, the type of food I was creating. So it was such a beautiful thing just within our studio. So imagine the viewers, you know, being able to respond to that as well. So I just miss every, every piece of that. Uh, Long-term, just uh, because, uh, you know, food is such a universal language and it's such an easy way to show affection with someone to show love. Um, Is that something you want to bring back at some point? I would love to. We film at Full Sail University, so it really depends on their... Um, decisions that they make on bringing people back in and mm. doing those things. So, so we'll see. I mean, I'm definitely knee deep in film right now. Being, you know, I write, I direct, I produce. So I've gotten really involved in in that type of thing. But I would love. So the answer would be, I would love to. I just don't know if it will happen the way it used to happen. I yeah, might, I might develop a different iteration of bait with me because you know. I don't sit still. So it's well, I was going to say you've pivoted into something else already and you really enjoy that. And I don't know that this was something you expected to do, right? Like movie making and stuff like that. Not at all. It started with me helping, you know, some friends on their projects and, you know, I've always written, I've always mm-hmm. been a writer. I've written several children's books. I've written a novel. I've just, any, I was the kind of person where somebody would walk up like a coworker and say, oh, I need to write a poem for this, or I want to write my husband a card. Can you write, you know, this, I'm trying to convey this. So I was always the writer um, around, but I always did it sort of as a hobby. Um, but now in all of my films that you'll see, there's always a message that's conveyed always. There's always some deeper meaning behind it. So no matter what I'm doing, I will always try and help in some way that's great so that translated over from bake with me and chat with me for sure then absolutely yeah all right you're consistent you get that centerpiece yes i'm consistent uh, on the table of robin you have a consistent centerpiece that every meal is different i my analogies need a lot of work i love your analogies (laughs) i i do want to go back to writing you know these emotional messages and missives and like in other people's cards did you ever blackmail them afterwards like hey i'm gonna tell your husband that was me who wrote that like no nick that's not who i am oh can you give me a list of people so i can go back and do that (laughs) because i am definitely that person definitely that person no and you know a lot of the times it was there it was what they wanted to say i just gave them a way to convey it okay (laughs) that makes the blackmailing a little bit more difficult good and if there's one thing i like it's easy blackmail (laughs) i'm gonna end this right now thank you so much robin hoffman hoffy's heart productions.com we can see all your current work all your past work and keep up to date on all of your future work. 
And speaking of films, what could be better than a film that is designed to make you feel something? In this case, badly? Question mark? Why do I keep saying that? I keep saying question mark out loud. I think I do voice to text too often. Speaking of voice to text, which will make you eventually feel terrible because of your spelling, grammar, and having to go back and correct everything if you're like me, let's talk to Kat Whitaker about the next episode, the next rendition, ooh, rendition is a good word, that seems appropriate, of Uncomfortable Brunch at the Enzian. So uh, it'll be July 11th at noon. Um, get there before noon. That's when, like, things are starting. Wait. <laughs> that's when the movie's starting. Or well, that's when stuff is going down. That's when the movie's starting, mm-hmm. but we also do an introduction before the movie starts to say, like, hey, thanks for coming. You're not going to feel good when you leave here because it's uncomfortable brunch. Okay. But you will be full. Of delicious food. Of delicious food, yeah. I always get the chicken and waffles. They've got spicy honey with it, and it's amazing. Um, So that's like what I look forward to every other month. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have to to get ready for it. It takes two months to get ready for it. I'm mentally prepared. I'm like, I am really excited for these chicken and waffles today. But uh, we will be showing Bamboozled. Uh, it's a Spike Lee film from 2000. Uh, and in typical Spike Lee fashion, you're like, yes, we're going to have some fun. And then you end up learning about racism. <laughs> so, Well, it's still a timely move. If I remember correctly, it's about uh, basically um, representation in the media. In media, sorry, in like uh, Hollywood. Yes. Uh, So the plot is there's this television producer and he is trying to push to create content with representation um, so that there's more like black folks in media and different um, at different levels in society, as opposed to having all of these stereotypical uh, types of characters and the his higher ups are just like not not buying it they don't think it'll sell that the ratings will tank or what have you and so he's like well I want to quit but um I'm under contract and if I quit I would be in breach of my contract and then they'll take me to court for it and so in similarity to producers uh the musical where they create the springtime for Hitler trying yeah. to, to get it to tank. So he, they can get out their contract. So that, well, I don't remember what exactly sure. happens in the producers, but <laughs> I know that there's springtime for Hitler and it's supposed to be like something to drive people away. But then instead um, it is a great success. And so the same thing happens um, in this film. And I'm not giving away any spoilers because that's the plot of the movie. Um, he comes up with the idea for a minstrel show and he is going to cast black people wearing blackface because he thinks it'll be so offensive that he'll get fired. Yeah. But instead this, this white producer played by, um, Michael Rappaport, 
I think that's his name. Yes. Uh, Michael, if you're listening, (laughs) thank you. Take a break from filming that cat with the mean mug. Um, Yeah, he's like, I love it. Let's do it. And so um, then they do it, and it is very offensive, and things go downhill very quickly. So that's coming up on... July 11th and now uncomfortable brunch is every other month so you'd have to wait a couple months so you should definitely go see this movie yes at the Enzian it's at the Enzian uh at noon on July 11th and then our next one after that won't be until September when we will be showing Synecdoche New York that's too far away it's a Charlie Charlie Kaufman joint so it's too long for me to wait, so let's go to this one. Yes. And I'll hang out in a movie theater again. And you can buy tickets. You can buy tickets online at the, the NZN's website, yeah. nzn.org. Uh, we are listed under special programs because we're very special. I've heard that about you. Yeah. So uh, come hang out. We also we do have T-shirts. Um which we made. Uh, one of them has uh, Bjork in Dancer in the Dark, that Lars von Trier movie, <sighs> at the end of it, which is not the happiest part. But that's the whole point, um, is we're showing these movies so that you can feel bad about it and then go, go home and take a nap. Perfect. Yeah. I love everything about that. If you don't feel worse than when you got there, we, we have failed. That sums it up, and that is episode 219. To learn more about everyone you heard, go to a certain degree.com. Thank you, Bethany, Kat, and Robin, for appearing on the show, and thank you, the listener, for listening. Some of the interviews featured in this episode were recorded at the Heavy in Winter Park, located at the old Lombardi's building. Come by and say hi to me sometime if you like. The music for the show is provided by the very brilliant Nicholas Roberts. Check out his work at nicholasrobertsmusic.com. You've been listening to A Certain Degree.